Let's do this. Welcome to episode 128 of In the Huddle on Can You Dig Sports Radio, the request line 1833-RADIO-VX. My name is Zach Kroll, along with my guy, The Real Lil, and we are here today to talk some sports with you guys as we are going over the most fascinating, the most polarizing, and the most interesting topics in all of sports. And after a great weekend. We chilled a little bit. Wasn't really that many sports topics on the agenda, but we are here today giving you guys what we think are the most important things to go over. And even though it wasn't a loaded weekend of sports, we still have a lot to talk about between the Hall of Fame, which we're going to get into at the end of the show, Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott, both those guys in the news. We're going to kick it off with some quarterback talk regarding Josh Allen and the contract that he just signed along with uh, a new list that Will and I will be debuting that we are really looking forward uh, to sharing with you guys. But before we start off today's show, I wanted to introduce to you guys my co-host, The Real Will. Will, I hope your weekend was good, man. How are we doing today? My weekend is good. My weekend was good, but my Monday is about to be even better because we're back here on In The Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports Radio. Shout out, Cousin Freddie System. His show just ended, and it's time that we take the reins. We take the keys. It's like passing the baton. And you know what? We got to go to the finish line, and I can't wait. I'm ready to get this show on the road. No more talking, just action. Zay, what's going on? Hey, man, what's up, man? I'm just happy to be here. It's a good Monday. Can't wait to talk some sports with you guys. So much happened. Uh, so much is going to happen, and football season among us. I can't wait for it. Absolutely. So speaking of the NFL, we are actually going to get right into it as the big news topic of the weekend was Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen has agreed to a six-year extension worth a total of $258 million over the span of the next six years with $150 million uh, guaranteed in that contract. So when that comes to mind, when you guys saw that news, what were your reactions? What were your main takeaways and what came to mind? Will, I know you're a big Josh Allen guy. I'm going to throw it over to you. Let's start this one off. Yeah, so it didn't shock me that Josh Allen got paid. We all know Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen was set for a big payday. It did kind of shock me that Josh Allen was the first to get his paycheck because we all know Baker Mayfield is probably not the strongest quarterback out of the three. So I thought... My, you know, ideology was you pay him first, you get him out the way, so this way you don't overpay for Baker Mayfield, even though you're going to overpay for Baker Mayfield, regardless of when you gave him that contract, you just know how the quarterback, the quarterback market works, you know, each guy sets the ball high, and it's not based on talent, so I know a lot of people is going to write statuses on Facebook, Carmelo Coach, calm down my brother, listen to In The Huddle right now, it's not my politics, it's the way how the NFL works in the way how the quarterback market works, and this is why these guys get paid. Listen, when it comes to Josh Allen, listen, he's a star. He's a star. He proved that last year. He took tremendous strides. I don't know in recent memory a quarterback that probably improved the way Josh Allen did overnight. Just woke up and said, I want to be great today, and I want to have a great year, along with the mechanics and everything. But um, I just wonder what impact that it is going to have on Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield in particular... His situation is a little bit complex compared to the others because, you know, you can say, you know what, we might as well take care of him now. We don't want to overpay him. But Baker Mayfield hasn't proved anything yet. So do you want to wait out another year, like another prove it year and risk that Baker Mayfield is good enough and have a better year than he did last year? Then you have to overpay him. Or do you say, you know what, we don't want to end up like Carson Wentz in the Eagles, overpaying and having to trade him. 
we don't want to end up like Jared Goff and having to get rid of Goff. So that's why if you're the Browns, your situation is a little bit complex because I think Baker Mayfield should be in a $33 million range, 33 to $35 million range, but you're probably going to end up having to pay $40 million plus for Baker Mayfield, which is something that you don't want to happen. Zach, I always tell you this. I like to economize my economic resources. I don't like overpaying for average. I like overpaying for great. Baker Mayfield is not great. So they had their things on their hands. But with Lamar Jackson, I'm going to end with this. I'm That's the guy I'm taking care of. That's the guy that I'm probably going to break the record with because, listen, people forgot that as good as John Harbaugh is, he was about to get fired before Lamar Jackson came around. And he literally saved that Ravens organization. And what he means to that team, he has to break the bank. Now, I know people are going to talk about his playoff resume and his playoff repertoire. But at the end of the day, listen, he's uh, I think he only lost seven games as a starter in the regular season. The playoffs will come. He will evolve. They got the weapons for him. He needs to break the bank. I'll pass it over to Rob. Yeah, so a couple comments on Josh Allen to start. I agree 100% when, uh, Will, when you said, you know, I haven't seen uh, many quarterbacks improve in such a short period of time as this guy. I mean, his first two years in the league, like, I'll just say, like, it is. Like, he wasn't good. He literally was out here throwing 10 touchdowns and 12 picks as a rookie. And then his second year, 20 and nine better, but still he was only completing 58% of his passes compared uh, to his first year, 52. And if you look at like a graph of the amount of his, his uh, completion percentage has gone up, it literally looks like a stock boom and it's crazy. This guy passed for 69% last year and he had a great season. And I wanted to say one thing, this Josh Allen situation and watching him over the course of his career, it has really shown me that everyone's situation is different. And if you are drafting a quarterback and taking such a big risk and such and making such a big investment when you're taking a quarterback in the first round, you really have to put him in the best position possible in order to succeed. Because I am very confident if Josh Allen got drafted by the Jets or any other team uh, in that 2018 draft that was not really well run and that team didn't surround him with the best weapons, then he wouldn't be uh, where he is right now. The Bills deserve a lot of credit for that. Sean McDermott, Brian Dable, trading for Stephon Diggs, uh, Brandon Bean, obviously one of the more underrated uh, GMs in the league. And obviously Josh Allen, he worked hard he had a great season last year i feel i would feel good about this contract as a bills fan i just want to see him do it for one more season because he was elite last year don't get me wrong he was a top four or five quarterback in the league i just want to make sure he could do it one more time and and i believe in the situation that he's in he'll have a decent year again so the bills had to make this move 100 percent, and i like it from their standpoint now when it comes to baker mayfield i agree also uh, when Will said, like, this is another one where we just have to be really careful because I think guys like Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, they are a good lesson uh, for really every team that is dealing with uh, the, this, the decision of whether to pay their rookie quarterback or not. If I'm Baker Mayfield right now and the Browns are like, all right, we want to get something done before the season. I'm not signing for anything less than, I would say, $35 million because I know that I'm in a position to succeed this season that – especially after last season like Cleveland had an easy schedule they had the best offensive line they had the best running game and Baker deserves credit like he had a good season he had his best season in the NFL but Josh Allen had an elite season Lamar Jackson has had two elite seasons along with an MVP under his belt if I'm Cleveland I'm not biting for that and I'm going into this season telling Baker Mayfield if you want to get paid 
fine, we'll do it, but lead us to a division title and improve even more on last year. Because I keep on coming back to this. In that playoff game against Cleveland, when, when Mahomes gets knocked out and Cleveland has all the momentum going, this guy really could have won the Browns that game. He had the ball, and all of a sudden, three and out, they never get the ball back and Kansas City wins, and it's history from there. I do think Cleveland could possibly make the Super Bowl this year. I think they have one of the five most talented rosters in the NFL, but if I'm the Browns, I'm making my quarterback prove it first before I pay him, because once again, Josh Allen had an elite season. Lamar has had two. I just want to see Baker do that. But once again, if you're the Bills, you deserve a lot of credit for the way that you have developed and taken care of your young quarterback, and uh, it's a good deal for both sides. I really do believe that. Yeah, I agree. Well, with both of you guys, you know, I think um, when it comes to the Josh Allen perspective, I think when I look at team success, this is the first um, time the Bills have won 13 games since 1991. Um, they, they repeated 1990 and 1991 on 13-game seasons, win seasons, and that was with, under Jim Kelly. Um, this is a guy who threw for 4,500-plus yards, 37 touchdowns, and um, I think 69% completion rating, you know, and that's that's really great for a quarterback. Like um, Zach said, he's like he was a top-five quarterback in the league last season. He had numbers – that you couldn't really fathom him getting. You know, he doubled his, he almost doubled his touchdowns while keeping his interceptions as low as, as they were. Um, that money he, he got, you know, shout out, to his, shout out to his agent, Patrick Collins, man. He he knows how to do it get the right, right, correctly and got him the money he deserved. Um, I hope that he lives, he uh, lives out to like, the lives out his contract, like the money was worth it and he continues to produce the numbers he's producing currently because Josh Allen's going to be, could be a big threat in this league if he continues to throw like 30, like 30, mid 30s touchdowns. He doesn't have to be like 37 or more every year, but if he throws like mid 30s, low 30s, with keeping that low interception rate, that'll be like fantastic for the Buffalo Bills and it works out um, really fine for that team. And I could see them winning like 13 game seasons more often. I don't see how the Buffalo Bills kind of stagger off from where they were last season. I think they continue this reign of supremacy, essentially, in the, in the AFC East. Um, one thing I want to say is he was one game away from the Super Bowl, and he had five touchdowns and one interception in the playoffs. You know, that was a big thing for the Bills. You know, he's almost perfect. You know, that's, that's really – if he didn't get an interception in the in the playoffs, you know, you could kind of say he had a perfect postseason. He played extremely well. Um, to the Baker Mayfield um, comment, I think Baker Mayfield – made a uh, tremendous strides and not making mistakes in his third season. But I think that's also was his downfall because he was a guy who came in the league um, risking a lot of plays and making risky plays. And sometimes it was like a high risk, high reward kind of guy. And that's what the Browns kind of got him for him because he was like this high risk, high reward kind of player. So if he, um, and in his third season, it seemed like he was more of not trying to make a mistake. And when Zach said like in that playoff against the Chiefs, when Pat Mahomes was down, you wanted to see that high risk, high reward guy come alive when Patrick Mahomes was out and he kind of didn't showcase that in the playoffs. It kind of sensed like, all right, I don't want to make a mistake. So I'm just going to go with the safe plays and, and the safe plays messed up the, you know, essentially their uh, playoff run. So uh, if Baker Mayfield wants to get that money, he has to show that he could reap in the rewards and make those risky plays. And hopefully they could go into his na- in his own favor. And that's why this year is so important for Baker Mayfield, because I do agree last year was more of a game manager year for Baker the year before we saw Baker the last two years we saw Baker take more shots down the field especially that first year um under Freddie Kitchens he was taking these shots and making plays and this year was more of let's get you back on track so that's why this year is more of a let's see if Baker Mayfield is worth 
the money that we're going to have to give him at some point. And that's why this year is so important. And I think week one, right off the bat, the Browns play the Chiefs. You talk about an important game, a game that can set the tone for the Browns season. That's why they should be doing everything in their power to go on the road to Kansas City week one to win that game. Because if they punch Kansas City in the mouth, I mean, it's the sky's the limit for the for this Browns team going forward because that's all the confidence in the world to beat a team that sent you pack into Cancun. You beat them in week one. You could build off of that, and I think that will help jumpstart Baker Mayfield having a good year if they're able to pull that off. But um, back to Lamar Jackson. I want to show all these quarterbacks some highlight. You know, listen, Lamar Jackson is special, all right? And that's why I'm not rushing. He's going to get paid. He's going to break the bank. I don't know if he's going to get more than Patrick Mahomes. Because Patrick Mahomes obviously had a Super Bowl on his resume before he got paid. So that's a totally different ball game. So I'm not going to be mad if he's slightly under Patrick Mahomes. But, man, when you think about how Lamar Jackson had COVID last year, right? The first game he came back from COVID, spectacular. Ran for over 100 yards against the Cowboys, took over that game. What do we know about quarterbacks that had COVID last year that came back? They were iffy. Cam Newton, the list goes on and on. He came back and he took over the game. Then he caught COVID again for the whole summer, basically. And then he comes back in his first practice and everybody's talking about him lighting it up. I mean, this guy's talented. He takes over a game. I know it's not the way that everybody wants to see it with the arm and passing the football. That will come gradually. They got the weapons, but he can take over a game, period. Whether it's his legs or whatever it is, he takes over a game and he should be paid. And, you know, Josh Allen, kudos to you, my brother. You broke the bank. You deserved it. And let's have a year where we know it's not a fluke now. Fans are back in the stands. All right, it's a whole nother year. You over-exceeded expectations last year. Show us that this is not a fluke. I think another low-key point I'm starting to realize is last year, Buffalo kind of relied on Josh Allen a lot. They didn't really have a running game. Their defense, if you remember, and, and part of what, for me, what makes this Josh Allen story so crazy is I vividly remember that playoff game, uh, his second year against the Texans, when the Bills got off to a big lead and in the first quarter, he actually looked really good. And then if you remember in the second half, Deshaun Watson and New Hopkins are leading this crazy comeback. And this guy's out here lateraling the ball backwards near midfield, almost getting himself killed. And I remember watching that saying like, what is this guy doing? Like, 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 is this guy, is this going to work? Like, I know I get the bills. If you remember that build team, like they ran the ball well, their defense was really good and they choked that playoff game away. But last year, part of what made their season so impressive was that literally they just got on the back of this guy and he took them to the promised land just about one win away uh, from the Super Bowl. And another low key thing I love about the bills in this contract, they made it a priority to keep uh, their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, who I think obviously had a lot to do with the development of Josh Allen over the last couple of years. And just remember, like Josh Allen's rookie year, he was throwing his top two receivers were Calvin Benjamin and Zay Jones. I, I know Calvin Benjamin is out of the league right now. Zay Jones, I'm pretty sure, is nowhere to be found. And then you give him Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, now Emmanuel Sanders. Like That just shows that the situation and your development and the position you're in, that's key in order for you to succeed. Uh, when it comes to Lamar Jackson, I agree. The Ravens really did a lot uh, to secure this guy as really the key point to their offense. They zigged when everyone else in the league decided to zag, building their scheme around the power running game based on their personnel. And it's crazy to look back. Lamar Jackson went number 32 overall in his draft. Uh, a lot of teams, if given the option, I know would have loved to have him back, especially after it's looking like Josh Rosen is going to be cut by the 49ers. How crazy is that? Top 10 pick and less than four years later, it's looking like this guy is going to be out of the league. 
But hey, the other three quarterbacks in, in that class, uh, we'll talk about Sam Donald another time. I still think he has something left. But Baker and Lamar and Josh Allen, it's taken some time. Right now, I think all three of those teams are happy uh, with the way their quarterback has progressed in draft day. And, One um, thing about Lamar Jackson, I would say, is he is an extremely talented player, and I, I don't think anyone can ever, ever question that. I think the, the people that the things that people question the most is when um it comes down to the lights, you know, the playoffs. You know, when they're they're making the playoffs, they're winning games in a regular season, and they're they're a playoff team. They're making it, but when we get to the playoffs, does he have? Is he gonna pass the ball more in, in on that offense? You know, because they know he's run first. They know what what they're gonna do. They know his bread and butter, and they know that's all he's planning to do. And teams kind of prepare for that in the playoffs when they play against these Ravens teams. And um, when you look at his numbers, right, his um passing attempts for his entire playoff um last three seasons, entire playoff um career, Josh Allen threw 120 last season alone. You know, and you when you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson who can throw the ball who I think should throw the ball more often, I think that means he needs to be able to just um, dis- um, change his game plan against certain teams so that they don't play him against the run every play. It comes to the play calling. You know, it's like, you know what the Ravens remind me of right now this year? The Milwaukee Bucks of the last couple of years that was this great regular season team and come playoff time, they couldn't get over the hump. That's the Ravens right now. And all the Ravens needed to do, which they partly did, they they halfway did it, supply Lamar Jackson with the weapons. Your number one wide receiver, kudos to this brother. He's a great wide receiver, but he's not a number one. Marquise Brown is not a number one. He's at least a number two. He's not a number one wide receiver. So if your number one wide receiver is not a number one wide receiver and your play calling is very predictable, Lamar Jackson came out and said it. Guys are calling out plays, then you have to be more creative. You have to expand the play, playbook and give him more weapons, which they partly did, which was the weapon part. Getting Rashard Bateman, getting Sammy Watkins. Now, they don't even use the uh, the passing game like that, but they still got the weapons now. So now you can fall back on the passing game along with the running game that we all know is your forte. So that's why I think the Ravens are being a little bit um, disrespected by the media. Nobody's talking about them, but they remind me of the Bucks. If they supply Lamar Jackson with the situation he needs, he can evolve his game and show it on the big stage. Yeah, and I think that's part of what makes this AFC race so interesting. What Isaiah said, it's a great point. I vividly remember uh, last year watching that playoff game, the Bills and the Ravens, and I remember a lot of people were giving the Ravens their respect, and rightfully so. They went into Tennessee and won a very nice playoff game. But you could clearly tell in that game against Buffalo, like their offensive game plan was super limited. I remember uh, Leslie Frazier, the Bills' defensive coordinator, literally just – Uh, looked at Lamar Jackson and said, you are not running on us. So if you want to beat us, throw the ball. And he literally could not do anything about it. You hope the weapons get better. But Lamar has proven that he's an elite player. He's an elite talent and he could win games in the regular season. And now it is up to him and the Ravens. Can they find that right mix to get this team to the promised land? I think he is the right guy to do it. But at the same time, the Ravens have had some opportunities over the last two years. I've thought that the last two years, they could have been good enough to possibly make the Super Bowl. I want to see if with a bunch of new faces in this year and the Lamar Jackson contract, we could talk about it all we want. Like it hasn't gotten signed yet. Let's see if that team's focus to start at least is on the prize. I think I think Lamar Jackson getting paid. I don't see a situation where he doesn't get paid. So that 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 big payday is, is going to come. It's inevitable. Well, well, let me ask you this: if, if you're Lamar and you see Allen getting paid, you're pretty antsy, right? You want to get paid before the season starts, right? Like. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think so, especially a guy who's, who won an MVP, you know, you you want to see, as Lamar Jackson, right, he'll probably be like, all right, if this guy's getting paid this much, he didn't, he didn't get an MVP, he wasn't just considered like a top 
X, Y, and Z. When I was at the at the prime, a thirty-six touchdown passing touchdowns and doing this thing, he in his mind he's probably like, maybe I, I should get my payday now. Then if he's getting this much, how much could I get picked the bank for? You exactly. want to get paid for the simple reason: it's football. Injuries happen. You want to be set. So mm-hmm. if Lamar Jackson had the mindset of, all right, I'm gonna wait this year out, let them let everything handle itself. You run the risk of getting hurt, and then having a Dak Prescott knock on wood injury, and then even though Dak Prescott got paid now. But still, you just never know. You can have a career ender. You want to be set for life. I think he should definitely want to get paid. Along with Baker Mayfield, they should want to get paid um, too as well. Because we could talk about Baker Mayfield holding out and having another year and say, I got all the leverage. But what if Baker Mayfield gets hurt? That's the risk that you want when you play the game of football. But um, that's the thing about Josh Allen. I'm going to just end here. You know, I don't want to stay on here too long. But Josh Allen, I, I saw him last year in the playoffs. He did a lot. And when I when I saw the plays where the hits on his body, you know, not throwing the ball out of bounds sometimes, that worries me a little bit because he's a guy that's taking on that responsibility, you know, running, being a runner, being a passer, you know, just trying to create and find something that's not there. Sometimes he made it happen. Sometimes it wasn't there. I don't want to see, you know, Josh Allen getting hurt. So that's one of the risks that you do worry about. But at the end of the day, they did what they had to do, which was pay the brother. So with that being said, Josh Allen, let a brother hold a dollar, please. I'm just curious to see what Baltimore and Cleveland's strategy is in terms of possibly paying their quarterbacks before the season after this deal. Like if I'm the Ravens and Lamar's like, yo, I want 44 mil in between Allen and Mahomes. Or Baker Mayfield comes up to me if I'm Cleveland and he's like, I want 35. Like I'm, I'm so curious to see how exactly those teams would handle it because now this is bill showed us like they clearly believe that josh allen is their quarterback of the future and they have no doubts about it i want to see how cleveland and baltimore feel and if they have that uh, same attitude maybe we could break it down probably in another uh episode like uh or even like another segment when we break down exactly um about how these each quarterback should be paid and how like how a team should um analyze what they mean to the team because when you look at a guy like Josh Allen, we said it. Like, Josh Allen was carrying this Buffalo Bills team many games in this season. You know, a guy like Lamar Jackson, he's the, he is the entire Ravens offense. We look at the um, Browns. The Browns have so many weapons, and, like, they have, like, r- r- great rushers. They have good, like, really good receivers. And then you look at Baker Mayfield, it's kind of like he's coasting instead of leading the team into a promised land where the Browns can say, yeah, you will give you X, Y, and Z, or this, that, and third, because you don't want a, uh, an ownership or even a GM, like a front office to say like, oh wait, we have a lot of assets. So if you could just plug in any quarterback, then Baker Mayfield's uh, contributions to this team is not as big as the contract he's asking for. So hopefully this year, Baker Mayfield shows us that the Browns need him just as much as he needs them. And it's crazy because, you know, if the Browns make the playoffs, I mean, other than trade, I don't see how they get a quarterback to replace Baker Mayfield. You know, so that's why I started off my segment saying they're in a tight situation now because with that roster, they will make the playoffs, I would assume. If they don't make the playoffs, and that's the automatic, you know, that that's guy that that's not your quarterback. If Baker Mayfield cannot lead this team to a division title and the playoffs, that's not your quarterback. Get another one. But if they do, but you know you carried him, then now, you know, you don't have that draft spot where you can draft his successor. So that's why in a tight spot. 
Right. And I think for a lot of people, they're starting to realize like negotiating for these contracts, it's a tough thing to do because if I'm Baker Mayfield and, you know, stats aside, I do exactly what we say, like we Cleveland to the division title next year, but I kind of play similar to the way I played this year. Like I'm asking for elite money. I'm asking for just as much money as Dak Prescott got like around 40 million. And if you're Cleveland, we started off by saying it like you don't want to turn into that contract into the next Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. So it's a very interesting situation. But Cleveland, the way they built their team, it's a good problem to have. And if you do give Baker that money, at least you're rewarding him for what hopefully should be a good season. But boys, another great time talking football. Love talking and breaking down the quarterback market with you guys as we will be moving on to the next segment of today's show. The Dallas Cowboys have been in the news over the last couple of weeks, and they're always a team that we somehow, some way find in the news. Dak Prescott and his shoulder situation. He was quoted by saying, we are being cautious with it. And the question that we have on the table for this next segment is should Cowboy fans be worried about Dallas for the upcoming season? And I'll start this one off, boys. I actually think that a lot of times, like, yeah, we look at the Dallas Cowboys and of any team in probably the past 25, 30 years of NFL football, they have probably been the most overhyped team. It's always the same thing. They have crazy expectations. They're always in the news. And they haven't even played in an NFC Championship game in the last 25 plus years. That's a problem. And I think Jerry Jones is a guy that when people think of the Cowboys, that's their their face of the franchise. That's the one guy, their owner. And he was spotted uh, a lot during this past weekend at the Hall of Fame uh, events, talking about Jimmy Johnson and everything that went sour there. And I'm actually thinking Jerry Jones He experienced a lot of success early in his career as the Cowboy owner, but recently it hasn't been there. And I think we're finally starting to see Jerry Jones, like based on all the moves that he's made recently, like it's clear to me that he wants to not only win, but win as soon as possible because he knows the Cowboy franchise has really been an embarrassment uh, in that time period. So when he signs Dak Prescott to that big contract, when he signs Ezekiel Elliott to that big contract, and we all knew based on the kind of guy Zeke is, like his production has really declined over the last couple of years. But the Cowboys, they are desperate to win this season. And I think the good thing for them is, yeah, like, They're the Cowboys. They're always going to be in the news. People are always going to have expectations for them. But I don't think anyone is picking the Cowboys to, like, win the Super Bowl, like, last year. And if I'm Dallas, I understand we really like Washington. The Giants have a good defense, well-coached team. The NFC East is a very winnable division. So the Cowboys' expectations should be to win the NFC East this year because they probably are the most talented team. It's easier to say that than do that. I'm still not the biggest Mike McCarthy guy, but... It is going to be a huge season in Big D, and hopefully our guy Dak Prescott uh, could stay healthy. But it's funny. This guy's coming in. He's our resident Cowboy fan on In the Huddle. We are lucky to have our guy, Dean O, joining us for this segment. Dean, how are we doing today? How are we doing, everybody? Dean, we're happy to have you on today's show. Always great to talk some football uh, with you. And we're actually talking about your Cowboys to start uh, start off this second segment. It's a big season. And I started off by saying, man, Jerry Jones is a guy that has experienced so much winning in his first handful of seasons in Dallas. But we know over the past 20 or so years, this Cowboy team has had a tough time winning. They've had a tough time 
uh, living up to expectations. And I actually brought up the point, I'm curious for your thoughts on this, that even though they're the Cowboys, they're always going to have expectations. I think the fact that no one is really picking this Dallas team to get to a Super Bowl, all really their expectations are win the NFC East, we'll see what happens. What are your thoughts on the Cowboys this season and along with the whole Dak situation? Well, just to clarify your first claim, that's my guy right there. Resident Cowboy fan, no more. The whole Dak situation, to me, is BS. He should not have gotten that contract. He's not a proven winner, just like everyone claimed him to be. The numbers do not translate to wins. And this year, my prediction for the Cowboys, 7-9. I feel like just that's been vintage Cowboys over the past uh, 15 or so years, you know? Yeah, they're just, um, I just don't see it this year. I feel like with all that money that they're paying Dak, they have no money to go improve the team. The defense that was so mediocre to not good last year, they don't have the money to improve. And I'm just going to see the same Cowboys we saw last year, 7-9. and nine. That's my prediction. Yeah. Well, um, what, let's get in here. What do you have to say? It's crazy because a lot of people, the, the one argument that Dak Prescott had over his career was availability. That's what everybody said. Well, he's not Brady. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Lamar, but he's available. All right, cool. But the brother goes down with a torn Achilles, and now he has an arm situation in practice. So is he going to be available? Is that, you know, argument that we made for him over the years, is that still going to be an argument for him getting that contract that he got? And that's what makes you worried as a Cowboys fan, that the one argument that you had was he's available, now he's available with injuries that can make him unavailable. So now you're in a situation here because you paid him $160 million. Ladies and gentlemen, if I'm Jerry Jones, I want a refund. I want my money back. And you know what? It's unfortunate because he can't get his money back because he paid Dak Prescott. And you know what? Yeah, that's the same thing with Baker Mayfield that we talked about. The Cowboys was in a situation where they was like, ah, we waited too long. We gave him more money than we should have. We overpaid for average. Now that's the risk that you run now. And the Browns are in this situation with Baker Mayfield where, you know, for a whole two years, the Cowboys was like, is that our guy? Is that our guy? And they kind of like, you know, it's like when you cross the street and you see a car coming, you can't say, damn, should I cross? Should I not? You won't get run over. You know what I'm saying? So you got to either make up your mind, know that this is your quarterback of the future, or, you know, do what you got to do, which is retool. And that's where the Browns is right now. And I think the Browns could learn a lot from the Cowboys right now. Dean, let me ask you, price aside, like contract aside, before all these talks came up, what were your thoughts on Dak? Did you think that he would be, once again, money aside, the right quarterback to lead Dallas to a Super Bowl? Because I think like over the course of his career, look, I'm not his biggest supporter, but he's done more than Baker Mayfield had last year. And I think he, like that availability, I know that went out the window this past year, but it was obviously a devastating injury. And he was there ready to play each and every week. Obviously, I think he was elevated a lot by the situation and the guys around him. But I do think that, he is an NFL-level, like, good starting caliber quarterback. It, it just the question is, like, does, is the money worth it? So before the money came into place, like, what were your thoughts on Dak and his uh, potential future as Cowboys quarterback? Well, before the money came into place, uh, everyone, and I agreed with this, said sign him before Mahomes signs his contract because then he's going to get this crazy big contract. Had the Cowboys signed him, what was it, like, three years ago, they probably would have got him for, like, 25 million a year which would have been a pretty good deal 
But my thing with Dak is, from what I see on the eye test, not forget all the numbers, like the stats, the eye test, Dak, he throws these balls, slant, drag, curl, 10-yard pass, 15-yard pass. Dak, I just can't see this deep ball accuracy. In my eyes, Against uh, besides against, like, you know, a bad team, he's not throwing the ball deep when it matters most, and it's not accurate. You know, he's just he's not hitting these guys right on the chest with deep balls. And that just hasn't improved over the course of his, what, five, six-year career. And because of that, when you need that, when it matters most, like, in the Super Bowl, look at the 49ers, for example. Jimmy Garoppolo had to throw the deep ball, couldn't get it done. You need that guy who's going to be able to throw that big pass when it matters most, and I just don't think Dak is that guy. I think yeah, I mean, point. to be honest, the franchise tag, I, I, one thing I'll compliment Dallas is, like, they weren't sure, so they just tagged the guy, and for one year, it's not a huge deal. If I were the Cowboys, after the injury, I would have just said, look, if we weren't committed to signing him two, three years ago, as you said, there's no reason, especially coming off the injury, to sign him now. I probably would have tagged him and either drafted a quarterback if I liked one, taken another free agent. I just want to see this guy prove after the injury he's ready to go. And as you guys have said, the start to, con uh, to camp has been a tag concern. I'm going to let Zay get in here real quickly. But before I do, I just want to comment on what Dino said. Dino started off his statement the right way. When my own two eyes, my eye test, shows me that he's not a quarterback that can lead you to a Super Bowl. And that's very important. Because we get into the numbers. Well, he played this amount of games. And he threw for this amount of yards. But we know a lot of that is stats inflation. From my own two eyes, can you tell me what you see from Dak Prescott? And that's very important. I mean, I think the Cowboys, you know, Jerry Jones, he put, he put himself in this situation um, when he decided to keep Jack, Dak Prescott all those years ago, you know. And then it just like ego inflates because when you win the owner and GM, I guess, he's the one putting the battery in the quarterback's back all these years. The quarterbacks, of course, they get big head and say, yeah, I want this money and that's it. You know, Jerry Jones essentially created a monster. Um, and you can't like this, this, this is Jerry Jones for years, though. It's not like this is the first time Jerry Jones has done this. Jerry Jones knows his favorites. He picks his favorites. I mean, he had Jason Garrett as the head coach for so many years with so many eight and eight seasons back to back to back to back. And he's just Jerry Jones know he has guys and know his favorites. Um, the biggest alarming thing is that, um, Dak Prescott might not be ready to play. You know, if he's still nursing a shoulder injury going into the uh, first game regular season, you know, he might not even see a, a preseason touch. He might not even get the arm ready, like warmed up, ready to go for the first regular season game. And that's very um, daunting, especially for a guy, for a guy they're paying um, all this money. And then he's just starting quarterback. And um, who's the, I don't even know what the backup is for the Cowboys. I don't even follow the Cowboys, but that's going to be a scary sight. So, oh, ben DiNucci. I know we saw a good amount of him last year. So it's going to be um, interesting. I see how, how this all plays out. But like I said, Jerry Jones will only be upset at himself. He, he, he does this every every year almost when, like, um, if someone gets hurt, someone gets hurt that he bigs up every single year. And then it's just like, you know, just, like what does Stephen A say? The Cowboys are an accident waiting to happen. That this, it's just, this is just another one of those situations. It's, it's just tough. Well, let me ask you guys. Go, go ahead. My bad. Oh, uh, you get The thing uh, is – Jerry knows that people are still going to go to the games. They're still going to buy the jerseys. They're still going to fill out 100,000 capacity AT&T Stadium every single week. That money is still going to come in, even if the Cowboys aren't playing that well. So, um, yeah, they're so still making money at the end of the day. I've realized we're all kind of on the same boat. Like, we're all a little bit concerned when it comes to Dak Prescott and his availability and 
if he's on the field, if he's going to produce it all this season. So what are you, your guys' expectations on Dallas? I know Dean said 7-9, uh, 7-10 and with the 17th game, but this is a huge season. If, if they don't make the playoffs, if they don't win the division, like Mike McCarthy is probably getting fired, and it's unfortunate if you're Jerry Jones because, once again, I think he would literally soul – uh, sell his soul to the devil for a Super Bowl right now. Like, that's how hungry this guy is. He wants a championship that bad. We all knew he always has, but I I just think, like, this season more than ever, locking up Dak, lock, locking up Zeke. Obviously, last year, he thought the Cowboys could be on that trajectory, bringing in a Super Bowl coach from Green Bay. But if you watched Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, you could kind of tell and you could make the point that he was kind of holding those Packer teams back, not, running, not having them uh, ready to play in the big games. So that's my thing with Dallas. Their expectation should be win the NFC East or bust to start. But at the same time, this is one of the more talented rosters in football. They could go on a run. And Dean was right when he said, you know, you know, when he talked about Dak Prescott's arm and, um, you know, not being able to push the ball down the field consistently. I wonder if that had anything to do with why his shoulder is the way how it is right now. Was they trying to test, you know, get him to throw those deep balls to CeeDee Lamb, to Amari Cooper? Is that the reason why he tore his arm? Because I don't see how you go from an Achilles injury and then that has something to do with your arm. I, I don't see it. Maybe I, you know slept when I had, you know, biology class or whatever, which I actually did, so maybe I missed that. You know, I hated biology in school. But um, I don't see the correlation there. I, I really don't, so we'll see. I think the Cowboys probably go 9-8 and because I know it's a 17-game season this year. Uh, I believe, right, this year is a 17-game schedule that they started. So I think they maybe go 9-8, and eight, um, maybe 10-7. and seven. Um, Like like um, Zach said, it's a very talented roster. I'm a big CeeDee Lamb fan. Um, I, I think he's very talented, and I think um, – that maybe uh, if they they cover Amari Cooper heavy, I think C. Lamb gets open a lot. So I think they can go like nine and eight, ten and seven, possibly, and win a division. Um, I think that's my that's how I take that. That's my take. We'll be back on in the huddle talking more football after this commercial break. Welcome back to episode 128 of In the Huddle. We are back talking football today. So many things to talk about. And after going over some Josh Allen talk and his new contract, talking about the Cowboys, a team uh, obviously in the news a lot, we are going to jump shifts to some news that broke over the weekend regarding a Michigan hospital cutting ties with Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins over his stance on the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. The vaccination decision is a private very private health matter for me, and I'm going to keep it as such. Um, uh, I do believe that as a leader of the team, it's very important uh, to follow the protocols to avoid this close contact because that is that is what it's going to come down to is did you have a close contact? And so I'm going to be vigilant about avoiding a close contact. I've even thought about should I just set up literally plexiglass around where I sit so that this could never happen again. Um, I thought about it because I'm going to do whatever it takes. So um, we're going to avoid this close contact thing, and um, and I uh, look forward to uh, you know making sure I'm playing for every game this year. Well, the protocols are what you have to follow. The NFL has set these protocols in place, so uh, I want to follow the protocol so I can play on Sunday, and that's where my focus is. So, as long as I can, um, you know, not test positive and not have a close contact, I'll be there for every. Every game. 
And if you missed this story, Kirk Cousins, about a week and a half ago, got pulled from a couple Viking practices in a row. He is not vaccinated, but he didn't test positive for COVID. He had to miss practice because he was deemed a close contact to Vikings quarterback Kellen Moore. And the reason why uh, a lot of the news about Kirk was popping was because he had this press conference the other day uh, really explaining his stance on COVID and how he reacted to uh, everything that went down. So I'm actually going to start this one off here. And look, when it comes to the Michigan hospital cutting ties with Kirk Cousins, that's a tough situation. They could do whatever they want in terms of their business and in terms of like who they want marketing their products and stuff. Like Kirk Cousins is a Michigan State alum. He obviously, uh, I would think, has some good nor- notoriety uh, in the state of Michigan. But I got to be honest with you guys, like watching that press conference of Kirk Cousins the other day, it made me think like, does this guy have any idea what's going on with COVID? Like this guy was out here talking about how next time, like he just wants to adjust the Vikings, the size of the Vikings quarterback room and saying how he will, he would put like plexiglass over his own desk in order to avoid getting the virus. Like, I think if you're getting the virus, bro, like, I don't necessarily know if that's going to do anything. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Obviously, you want to be safe and maybe making the room bigger is going to be the way to do that. But look, I totally understand that when it comes to getting vaccinated and when it comes to putting something in your body that you think you might not be aware of, like, everyone's going to have their own opinion on it and you can do whatever you want. But I just keep coming back to this point. I think that it is inevitable that at some point this season, a quarterback uh, is going to, something's going to go down with a starting quarterback in a similar way what happened to Kirk Cousins with the Vikings practice. Like someone who is not vaccinated and someone who doesn't even test positive, but is deemed a close contact to someone that does. And he's going to have to miss a game, which puts uh, his team in jeopardy to win. And I think what a lot of people are saying is like, bro, Kurt, if you're saying you're doing what you want to do, whatever you can to make sure COVID stays out of the Vikings practice facility, then what a lot of people are saying is like, just get vaccinated. And for some reason, this guy doesn't want to do that. It's his decision, his opinion. I totally understand that. But I just think it is inevitable that a quarterback that isn't vaccinated is going to miss a game this season. And that team's fan base is just going to throw a fit over it. And that's obviously not a good situation for anyone. And if I'm that quarterback, I'll tell him kiss my ass. Just that simple. Straight up. Because last year, I mean, yeah, we had quarterbacks go down. We had coaches go down. But no major quarterback going into the playoffs last year in, like, you know, the, the midst, the, the prime of the pandemic really missed time. You know, everybody knew what they had to do. They wanted to play in the playoffs. So, so they said, you know what? I'm going to make sure that my house is good. Tom Brady quarantined himself from Giselle, from a model. That's not easy to do. Kirk Cousin could do it, too. All right, if, if Tom Brady could do that with Giselle, Kirk Cousin could do that for whatever, whoever he's with. You know, just quarantine himself, do what he has to do. I hate the media. I'm going to just keep it real. I know I'm a part of the media, but I hate the media. You know, you can always be a part of something and not like something. It is what it is. Because the questions that they ask his brother, it's almost like, you know, they're, forced, they're trying to force him to take the vaccine. Listen, a lot of people don't realize that some people are not taking the vaccine, not because they want to be hard-headed, hard-headed Americans. It's because some of it has to do with religious purposes. If you know who Kirk Cousins' father is, this brother is a minister at a church in Orlando. One of the quotes that this brother um, literally came out with a couple years ago, he was like, religion is being silenced as God is being removed from our culture. Do you think this is a guy that will actually care about a vaccine? Do you think this is a guy that actually believes 
in a vaccine. And if he doesn't, do you think his son will believe in a vaccine? So if the brother doesn't believe in a vaccine and he still wants to play football and he's telling you, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I do not harm my teammates, then you have to take him for his word. And that's just what it is. I don't defend Kirk Cousins here on the show. You know that. You know that's not my favorite quarterback. But when it comes to humanity and what is right, I'm going to defend his brother on this one. Sorry, but not sorry. Yeah, it seems like the um the hospital. I mean, I think could you say it's from a marketing standpoint, correct? Like the Michigan marketing. So it seems like now it's becoming more of a mandatory to uh, get this vaccination. From what it seems like, like no one's forcing you to get it, but we're gonna drop you as a sponsor if you don't get it. You know, that's kind of where it, it, that's what it looks like from my end, at least. You know, and um that's not that's not right. You know, you shouldn't forcefully force someone to choose between making money or like or like doing something that they clearly are not believing in. And um, we, we all understand that, like, um, the vaccination is supposed to be a preventative and it's supposed to be something that's supposed to help people to move on, to, to get closer to normal life. As a, That's what they're advertising. You get closer to normal life, you, you get the vaccination. And um, But it seems like now, like, they're kind of forcing athletes, essentially, or well, this particular situation. It, it seems like the hospital is forcing Kirk Cousins, like, hey, if you don't get this vaccination, we're dropping you as a sponsor in a sense. And that's kind of how it, it came off to me. Um, that's that's kind of like all I have to say at this point because it's just kind of, it's a disgusting kind of topic. No, I do agree with that. It's sort of like, you know, oh, we're not going to force you to get the vaccine, but we're going to force you to get the vaccine because now we're going to drop you. They definitely should not have dropped Kirk Cousins over his stance. I mean, you know, it shows that he cares, like in the whole plexiglass thing, like he wants to, you know, be safe and he wants to uh, do the right thing and make sure his teammates are safe as well but at the same time like you don't have to take the shot if you don't want to like that's just his choice and just like Leo said with his father and it dates back to their religious beliefs like like don't force the guy to take the shot if he don't wants to you know yeah I, I think what a lot of people the reaction for, from a lot of people were just like look obviously once again everyone's stance on the vaccine is going to be different and I, we obviously have to respect everyone's opinion on it all I think what a lot of people were saying was for this guy to say, like, I feel like he actually believed that, like, making the quarterback room bigger for the Vikings and, like, just I'm not saying excuses, but like, he was just saying, like, all this information. And once again, as you guys said, like, it seemed like he really cared. Like, it seems like he wants to just, just do whatever he could. All I'm saying is based on the NFL's policies, like, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. And you could criticize the NFL's policies all you want, but that's just the reality of it. Roger Goodell wants as many players vaccinated as possible, and he obviously isn't forcing them, but he's doing whatever he thinks gets the most players vaccinated. And it is going to be hard, I think, if this were to happen to a Dak Prescott or a Kirk Cousins or a guy uh, a team really relies on. Like, it's one thing to say, like, oh, just kiss my ass. Like, I don't care. But, like, people like the whole city could hate you like it literally comes down to that so it's really going to be interesting to see uh if a situation like this could happen for the upcoming season i also want to see if this also gets um like what if certain sponsors start to tell teams like hey your quarterback the, the guy your franchise guy the guy who's the face of the team is not um is not uh just has a vaccination we're dropping you as a sponsor like i want to see if that starts to play out more and more as the um the months go on, the years goes on, then that's gonna be another situation, another topic. It's like, all right, so it, are sponsors now mandatory? Like you have to have mandatory 100% vaccination in order to get sponsorship money from this place from that place, or like that's gonna be that's gonna be another interesting topic that goes down the line. And um, it's it's, it's like I said, just a tough situation for like a guy like Kirk Cousins, who you now his whole like like you said, his father, family background is very religious and against the vaccinations, 
And maybe it's not just only COVID-19 vaccination. There's maybe other vaccinations beyond before that. So it's probably like a, a long history of just not being uh, for medications, certain medications that can alter your body and how you feel. So um, it's just it's just tough, man. Very tough. I mean, all that is cancer culture. You know, that's basically what it is. This right here, the Michigan Hospital cutting ties is another prime example of cancer culture. If you don't fit the line, if you don't fit the description, if you don't fall into place the way how I want you to fall into place, I'm going to take my resources and pull it away from you. That's basically cancer culture at its finest. And we all know I'm not a big fan of that. I think that's a bunch of monarchy right there. But it is what it is. It's the times that we living in. At the end of the day, it's going to be interesting because there is the same. You don't want to mess up another man's check, right? And that's probably what Kirk Cousins will do if he catch COVID, is mess up another man's check. But you also don't want to disrespect another man's religion. Ask Conor McGregor when he did that to Khabib. You don't want to do that. So at the end of the day, that's why topics like this is so unfortunate. And the NFL putting all the pressure on unvaccinated players is so like harsh to me because even in families there's going to be turmoil my dad is vaccinated my mom is not so of course in the locker room it's going to be no it's going to be no different at the end of the day so that's why what i have a problem with is not that the nfl wants to you know tell you know the players and you know kind of like you know basically say get the vaccine da 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 it's in your best interest it's the fact that they're singling out everybody's singling out unvaccinated players it's almost like damn like you were targeting something bro like come on now at least treat these players the same way that you would treat these other players because at the end of the day these players are human and that's just what it is mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it's gonna be interesting to see like part of being a starting quarterback it's so interesting like being a starting quarterback is unlike any other position in sports like literally you're a guy that represents your team like we spoke about this with deshaun watson like on the field, off the field, like you are the franchise, and especially when you're the Vikings, like we know Kirk Kirk Cousins is just making an absurd amount of money that he really shouldn't have never gotten paid. And if you're the Vikings GM and you're paying that guy a boatload of money and he's not on the field because, like, let's just say, like he's not vaccinated, like that would kind of upset me a little bit, whether he if, if it's for the right reasons or not. And I'm curious to see, like, would that carry over to a fan base? Would that carry over to other people across the league? Because whether we like it or not, like these unvaccinated players are kind of targets right now. And based on other people's opinions, like that can only grow. Dino, I got a I got a question for you, Dino. I want you to, to answer this and then anybody else could too. Um, so when I look at Kirk Cousins, right? And I know we can sit here and say, God forbid, Kirk Cousins says positive. You know, I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs anyway. So I don't even think that's gonna be a factor come down the line. But let's say they do make the playoffs and he gets sick before the playoffs or whatever. At the end of the day, you always going to be unpopular when you're in the middle of something, right? Ask the greats that became popular. They was once unpopular. The Martin Luther King had a disapproval rating. You know, Martin Luther King. You know, Muhammad Ali too, when he went to jail and stood for what yeah. he stood for. So at the end of the day, Colin Kaepernick, disapproval rating. But now everybody want to take a knee all of a sudden. Really? Why? Why do you want to take a knee today? When he took it before and y'all disapprove of it. So if Kirk Cousins really feel the way how he feels, yeah, the backlash is going to come. People don't look ahead of time. They look about now. They they worry about, you know, what things are going on now. They don't worry about, you know, the long-term effects. So he could be looked at as, as a hero 
down the line, if you know things happen, God forbid, where people do end up getting side effects and getting sick, he will be looked at as a hero at the end of the day. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, but you know, I'd have to agree with you. Like, he could very well be looked at like, hey, man, maybe Kirk Cousins was onto something. Maybe I didn't have to go rush and get this shot because I have, I don't know, blood clots in my leg or something as a side effect because of it. So it could very well be like a ripple effect where Kirk is like, you know, kind of opening eyes and people are like, you know, maybe I don't have to go rush in and get this shot. I mean, like I said, it's, it's anyone's choice at the end of the day. It's nothing wrong with encouraging it, but, you know, you can't be forcing it on people. It's not the right thing to do, you know? Because, but you know, these people, these people you know, look at these celebrities. You do know that, right? So, you know, some people be like, all right, Kanye took it? All right, I'm on the line now because my boy Yeezy took it. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want to meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to go on the line. I'm going to take it. You know, celebrities have an impact that a lot of people are not talking about. We all know celebrities impact the world because they have the platform and the fame to impact humanity. So what Kirk Cousins is doing, maybe non-traditional to where the society is right now, but it could pay some dividends down the line if he stands on his truth. And if his truth is the truth. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I was just going to say, like, every team, every locker room is different, and people's opinions just really vary on this. So by the time the season starts, by the time uh, players could start missing games due to COVID, testing positives, and contact tracing, like, we'll see how it affects the league, but... Roger Goodell and the NFL, they just want their best product on the field as possible. And they really must believe that vaccinating as many players as possible uh, would be the way to do that. But, hey, everyone has their own uh, opinion. Everyone is going to do what they think is best for themselves. And we'll see what kind of, a, of an effect that has uh, later on. We'll be moving on to the next segment of today's show. And if you've been listening over the last couple of weeks in anticipation for the start of the NFL season, my guy Lil and I have been putting together some lists. We ranked every quarterback in the league 1-32 to 32, a couple weeks ago. Then a couple weeks ago prior, we did our head coaches list ranking 1-16, uh, to 16, our uh, top 16 head coaches in the NFL. And to continue that trend, Isaiah, our guy, is going to be joining us in this list as well. And then Dino, we're going to trigger to him to get his thoughts on our list. We are going to be doing our top five offensive breakout players for 2021 today and then uh next episode we are going to be doing our top five defensive breakout players for 2021 and the one catch to this list is that rookies are excluded we were not allowed uh, to pick any rookies we know that there are going to be some really good rookies in the league but it is just hard to judge these rookies when to be honest we haven't seen that much of them just basing it off practices is very tough to do so zay as uh an honor of making your first list on in the huddle i want to throw you to mike to start it off, give me your top five breakout offensive players in the NFL for 2021 and why the mic is yours. All right. Um, so I kind of based my list off of opportunity. Um, the, basically, the players that had the opportunity to show um, what their stats aren't showing to show that they are a lot better than the situation that they were currently in or were in the previous seasons. Uh, so I, I chose these players premised off of how I think they'll perform this year and break the um, the image that the league and fans get, gave them with the performances that they've given us the past couple seasons. So the first guy actually was um that I thought about was Sam Darnold. I feel like he's in a situation where he could do a lot better than he was previously. Um, I feel like he has a little bit more weapons than he had on the New York Jets. And I do feel like he's a better quarterback than just, than just throwing 19 touchdowns. Uh, as a career high for um, in, in, you know, in his career, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's the kind of guy he is. I feel like 
a guy like Christian McCaffrey, who um, in 2019, uh, he had 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 um, passing um, receptions and receiving yards. I think he's a guy that um, is going to take a lot of pressure off of Sam Darnold's back, and um, he has he gives him a little escape route when needed the most. I think a guy like DJ Moore gives him a better target. Um, he got his guy back in Robbie Anderson, a guy who um, who's a deep threat, a guy who can run really fast, and a guy who can possibly get some more um, easier uh, matchups on the against the opposing team secondary because because of his speed and because of DJ Moore's there. I think it creates a little bit more opportunity for Sam Darnold. So I got him. I didn't really um, put like a one through five kind of thing. I just kind of listed players and chosen that in that stance. Second guy was um, Jared Cook on the Chargers. Um, I don't know if we remember, but like a year removed, uh, Hunter Henry on the Chargers. He had a 60 receptions on that Chargers offense. And I feel like Jared Cook um, could get the same receptions. The last time he had 60 receptions was, I believe, 2018 with the uh, Raiders. And uh, he had about 800 to 900 receiving yards on that team. I feel like Jared Cook could, if he gets close to 60 receptions on this team, I feel like he could probably get close to 900 yards, even close to 1,000 yards of uh, receiving yards. So I feel like he's going to have a really, really great year on that Chargers offense. That's very high octane, um, and he'd like to move the ball. And I feel like uh, Jared Cook could be one of those big receiving options for Justin Herbert. Um, my third um, player I chose was Baker Mayfield. I think I chose this guy mainly because he needs it. If he wants to get that big contract, I feel like, he, he showcased that he could take care of the ball in his third season. I feel like his fourth season, he has to show us that he can still go for those, like I said earlier, high-risk, high-reward plays while taking care of the ball. He needs to showcase that he can do the same things that not um, exactly what Josh Allen could do, but something similar where he took care of the ball and still was gained 30-plus touchdowns. I think Baker Mayfield's going to have a big year, and I hope he does. Um, I switched this last minute, but um, I put CeeDee Lamb at four. I feel like see, I'm a CD Lamb guy, and um, he had 900-plus um, receiving yards in the year where Dak Prescott was out. I feel like if Dak Prescott is in the entire season, he gets 1,000-plus yards. Um, alongside with Amari Cooper, I think they both could go for a lot of receiving yards this season. I think he probably possibly gets up to like eight to nine touchdowns, receiving touchdowns. Um, I, I like his separation. He's a very talented receiver, and I think he, he could be one of the better receivers coming into the season. Um, the fifth was Kyle, Kyler Murray. I feel like Kyler Murray needs to have a breakout season to get these Cardinals into the out of the funk that they've been in. Um, I feel like he has a good arm. I feel like he is a tight undersized for that quarterback position, but his talent oversees all of that. And I think that he could be a guy who breaks out this season with um, a very strong arm. And I think he breaks out from maybe 30-plus touchdowns this year with a very strong receiving corp. A.J. Green, Larry Fitz. I feel like oh, – not Larry Fitz, excuse me. Uh, A.J. Green and um, – is Larry Fitz? Yeah, Larry Fitz this though, right? I'm, am I going crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry Pop. Fitz, yeah. Larry Fitz. I feel like that's a um, that's a tandem that that can't be unmatched. I feel like that uh, Kyle Murray's gonna have a really good breakout season. I had one honorable mention, and this is a guy I actually had earlier in my my um picks was Calvin Harmon on the Redskins. I feel like the addition to um Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's a deep throw, he's a deep ball um, ball thrower, and I feel like um. Kevin Harmon, like his his like scouting reports are mainly saying that he's a guy that can't create separation, but like on a deep routes, he's he's able to create a little bit of separation to catch the ball. I feel like a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick on that team will get him to that, you know, that uh stature of like a Deshaun Jackson kind of guy who like he's a very deep route kind of guy and guy who can get the ball deeper into like the thirty plus yards uh, situation. That's my list. So I have Sam Darnold one, Jared Cook two. Baker Mayfield three, CD Lamb four, and Kyler Murray at five. Love so, to see it. Um, 
So Zach, do you want to do this in in an order? Because I do have the order if we need it, or if you just want to do yeah, five. Yeah, I, I range mine top five. I'm still down to do it in order. Yeah. Okay. All right. So to, for starters, I'm just gonna say how I kind of went about my list and the fact is that I put, you know, into doing my list, which was, you know, showed opportunity, showed potential, shall I say? They showed potential last year. I had to see a little something that I know could carry on to this year. Obviously, what Zay alluded to, the opportunity and the reps. The reps are very important because if you're not getting reps, then you can't showcase that talent of yours. So you can't have that breakout year. And also potential. So some of this is going to be, you know, projections as well and risk here on my list. So at number five, I'm going to go with Darnell Moody of the Chicago Bears at number five here. This is a guy that played over 73% of the snaps last year. And he was a fifth round draft pick. The steal of the draft, one of the steals of the draft last year, I would assume. You know, this is a guy that he broke He broke open a lot of deep routes. He was open, but he didn't have a quarterback. Nick Foles couldn't get that ball down that field. Uh, Mitch Trubisky couldn't get the ball down the field. This is a guy that could have did way more than he did. There were some plays that was left off the board for this guy to add to his stats because he didn't have the quarterback. Well, this year, you get improved quarterback play with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. Whoever decides to be the starter, whoever Matt Nagy decides to give the key to, you have improved quarterback play. We all know Andy Dalton can throw the ball down the field. I saw a connection on Twitter with these two guys. I do believe he's going to be poised to be that go-to guy. We all know Allen Robinson is going to be on the outside, which is going to draw a lot of attention, which is going to open up a lot of plays for Donnell Moody, who you know is going to be hard to guard one-on-one. I like this guy. I think he's going to have a breakout year. And I think the Bears might potentially have another playoff berth. I don't think they win the division with Aaron Rodgers there. But I do like this team on both sides of the ball. And I think Donald Moody is going to be one of those bright spots on this team next year. At number four, I'm going to go with Damian Harris, running back of the New England Patriots. I'm going to go with him. This is a guy that came on last year. He started to come on. Um, this year, I think it's his breakout year. The Patriots in the last... 21 years, only had four running backs that eclipsed 1,000 yards. LeGarrette Blunt was one of those guys. Uh, Steven Ridley was another. Who am I missing here? There's a couple guys that um that eclipsed 1,000 yards. Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis and Corey Dillon back in 2004. The Patriots haven't done a good job of utilizing their running backs. But you know me. I love those Alabama running backs. This is a, a, a university that included, that produced Derrick Henry, that produced um, Najee Harris, and I think Damian Harris is going to be one of those guys. And I think, you know what, a lot of people think this New England Patriots team is going to be this passing offense because obviously Bill Belichick went out, got John o. Smith, got Hunter Henry, got Nelson Aguilar. But I thought about it to myself. I said, you know what, upgrade, yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. It's a big upgrade compared to Jacoby and Myers and the Mary's Bird. But Nobody that I just named is a number one. Nelson Aguilar is not a number one. He's a number two. None of these guys are number one. So this is a perfect year for Cam Newton, who obviously is trying to get back up to being the old Cam Newton to utilize that running game. And Damien Harris is a guy that showed potential that I believe is poised for a thousand-yard season this year under Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels' offense. I'm going to go with... Um, Damien Harris at number five, at uh, number four, excuse me. At number three, I'm going to go with Brian Edwards, wide receiver out of Oakland. 
Yes, I'm going with an Oakland receiver, but it's not who you think. It's not Henry Ruggs. It's Byron Edwards who I'm going with. Simply because there's a lot of buzz right now in the camp. And that kind of went into my decision here. I'm hearing a lot. You got John Gruden comparing this brother to T.O. You got Derek Carr who's talking about this guy. I seen the highlights. This guy made a crazy acrobatic catch on a one-on-one. I mean, literally had to adjust his body while falling to the ground, made that catch. This is a guy that left a lot of plays on the field last year, didn't get the reps. Nelson Aguilar, who had a career revival, is out. This guy's a sophomore. He's going to be able to be probably their go-to target. He has the opportunity. I don't think Henry Ruggs is going to be their number one. I just think it's a guy that you got to account for his speed. And when you account for somebody's speed, that's the attention. That's what attention is. So that's going to open up a lot for Brian Edwards to be able to form that connection with Derek Carr in a highly sophisticated offense that we all know the Raiders produce each year and each year out. I think he's going to have a big year in that system. And my attendance is going to go up with this brother, man. His route running, his ability to catch the deep ball while falling on the ground, like I said, he's going he's to be my number three. And number two, I like the pick that Zay made. I'm going to go with C.B. Lamb. This guy has great adjust-to-the-ball ability, as we saw in that game against the Vikings. I always refute back to that play when that brother made that catch in that end zone, boy. That was something right there. Just the body control to be able to track down the football. He has all the intangibles to be the next great wide receiver. Yeah, I know Amari Cooper is still on that team. Yeah, I know Michael Gallup is still on that team. But C.D. Lamb is going to be the guy that's going to be the leader in receptions on this team because he's a guy that you can play in slot. I think he played too much in slot last year. He, I believe he played over 93% of the snaps in the slot, the most in the league, and he was not a slot receiver like that in college. He could play on the outside. So I think they're going to utilize him all over the football field. Dak Prescott, that's going to be his safety net. We all know he really can't push the ball down the field. So that's a lot of middle targets, a lot of easy receptions, went after the catch for C.D. Lamb to add on to his resume. He's going to be a very good breakout star and a breakout candidate. At number one, I'm going to go with Tua. I'm going to go with Tua at number one. This is a guy that I feel like his obituary was written way too early. But I'm here to tell you, this brother is going to rise up from that, that coffin like the Undertaker in the last man standing match. And he's going to have a career revital. They did all the things that they can to get to his best this season. Again, Will Fuller, a guy that we all know can blow past a defender. He has that speed. Jalen Waddle is a guy that's a playmaker. You get the ball in his hands. That's your formula to have a productive game. It's getting the ball to Jalen Waddle. I just think that they did so much for Tua that he has to be good. It, he just has to be. The offensive line, they revamped it. They had a top three off season this um, season. They did everything they can for Tua. Plus, I'm going to take in consideration this brother had surgery just a year before last year. He wasn't 100%. Bro, he shouldn't have been out there, period. And I maintain this to this day. He shouldn't have been out there last year at all. First of all, they was winning. Second of all, the brother had surgery. He shouldn't have been out there. And I know everything was in front. I believe he averaged six yards per throw. It wasn't very, you know, down the field like. But this year, I think with the weapons they have, they have an opportunity to open up that offense. And we can see shades of Alabama Tua. Hallelujah. That's my guy at number one. I passed the rock. Yeah, well, you want to just go over your one more time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. At number five, 
I got Donnell Mooney, wide receiver from the Chicago Bears, sophomore. At number four, I'm going to go with Damian Harris, running back of the New England Patriots. At number three, I'm going to go with Brian Edwards, wide receiver, sophomore, out of Oakland. And number two, I'm going to go with C.D. Lamb, chop, wide receiver from the Cowboys. And I'm going to go with Tua Tagovailoa at number one to close out my top five offensive breakout plays for 2021. Obviously, what I love about this segment is we all have a lot of similar names. We all have a lot of guys on similar teams, but at the same time, our lists are all so different. So can't wait to share this with you guys. Top five offensive breakout players. I think the formula and the standard that I used very similar to you guys. So without further ado, let's get to it. At number five, I'm going to stick with the Chicago Bear as Will had uh, with his number five pick, but I'm actually going to go with their starting running back, David Montgomery. I'm a huge fan of this kid, and I think sometimes what exactly does a rookie quarterback need in order to succeed just to start he needs that running game he needs that guy that they could rely on and i think that david montgomery this is a guy that matt Nagy has been quoted in saying that he expects him to get at least 15 carries a game and he's produced over the last couple of years i think this kid's a good player i think sometimes uh once again, that key to your offense could be that running game, especially when you have a young quarterback. And the Bears really have not been able uh, to run the ball over the last couple of years. I think this kid is their best option. He's going to be my number five uh, breakout player, running back David Montgomery uh, from the Bears. At number four, I'm going to keep it. With, I'm going to move to wide receiver. Let's go to the West Coast and a guy who, over the last couple of years, he's been good when he's on the field, but he's had a little bit of trouble staying healthy and that is Debo Samuel of the San Francisco 49ers. I think this kid when he's on the field has really shown us that he could be a stud when it's catching balls getting open in that Kyle Shanahan offense and it was clear to me that when he went down midway through last season I believe it was in a game against Washington that 49er offense just died and I understand like their quarterback play wasn't great no matter who is going to be under center at QB this year whether it is Jimmy G or Trey Lance uh, I think this kid could be a real big time player Debo Samuel my number four breakout uh, player on the offensive side of the ball. At number three, I'm going to keep it in San Francisco and even in that wide receiver room because Brandon Ayuk is going to be my number three offensive breakout player. Everything I just said about Debo Samuel, it still applies, but I think this kid Ayuk could be even better. He is a guy that has shown his ability to just make highlight catch after highlight catch after highlight catch and Last season, we always talk about the great receivers in that class. Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, uh, Henry Ruggs, um, even some other guys that were drafted in the second round. But I think this kid, Ayuk, could be the one of the best out of all of them. Even with bad, bad quarterback play last year, he showed us he could really produce. I think San Francisco is going to be really good on the offensive side of the ball, led by those two studs, Ayuk and Debo Samuel. At number two, let's go to the NFC East. We're going to stay in the wide receiver category with my guy, Terry McLaurin. I think Zay mentioned it, bringing up the kid Harmon, that this could be a big season for the pass catchers out there in Washington. And Terry McLaurin was a guy, third round pick, wasn't really expected to become the star receiver out of nowhere, but that's exactly what he has become. Over the last two years, this guy just keeps on getting better and better and better with semi-par quarterback play. Like this guy was a stud with Alex Smith leading the way. And at that point in Alex Smith's career, like as great of a story as he's been, he wasn't really a guy that could elevate and push the ball downfield. 
I think playing with a guy like Fitzmagic, Terry McLaurin, could become a star this season before our eyes. He is my number two offensive breakout player. And at number one, I mean, both you guys already mentioned him. I know it's going to sound like I'm uh, stealing your guy a little bit, but this guy was my number one choice. I mean, C.D. Lamb, this guy is a physically gifted machine that I think is going to be one of the seven best receivers in the NFL this season. Um, I think there's a good chance that when we look back on that draft of 2020, we're going to see Jerry Jones in his yacht making that pick. And we're going to be thinking back to ourselves saying like, how the hell was this guy here at number 15? He's going to end up being right there with Chase Young and Justin Herbert as one of as some of the best players in this draft. And um, I just think that last year he showed flashes, obviously, like when you're putting up good stats with not good quarterback play that tells me all you need to know and this guy showed me in Oklahoma like he's just a physical beast that can make some crazy catches he may not be expected to make he is my number one breakout player hopefully uh, him and Dak will you know keep that chemistry rolling they had at the beginning portion of last year and if Dallas has a winning season which their expectations should it should be behind the back of CD Lamp so to recap I started with a running back at number five, David Montgomery. The two 49er receivers, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk at four and three. At number two, Scary Terry in the NFC East in Washington and C.D. Lamb at number one. Dino, I wanted to throw the mic over to you, man. You heard my list. You heard Will's list. You heard Zay's list. Give me some thoughts. Give me some takeaways. What came to mind when you saw our list? No, uh, Zay's list really stood out. And the two people that really stood out on that list was uh, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Darnold. I like Sam Darnold being out of the Jets, being out of that environment. Zach, I know you're a Jets fan. I'm sorry. But the Jets just need a total makeover from top to bottom. Front office, ownership, players. That's what the Jets have needed for the last, probably our whole lifetime. <laughs> and I feel like Sam Darnold being in Carolina is going to open the door for him for a brand new opportunity. And I think that he's really going to finally be able to showcase his talents with a good supporting cast around him, especially having, you know, Christian McCaffrey in his backfield. And now here, the thing with Baker Mayfield, this is a big year for him because he wants to get paid, just like you guys said. But I just, I don't know about Baker, man. I don't know. I mean, he's got Jarvis. He's hopefully OBJ can stay healthy for the whole season. You know, I think uh, if Baker's getting paid, it's going to be on the coattails of OBJ and Jarvis, a little, just a little bit. But I think that's going to be the biggest X factor is Baker Mayfield and how he performs this season. Because this is really his make-or-break year, especially as a leader and for wanting to get that contract. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. It's, it's a big season. I want to stay on this topic a little longer because this is, a, this is such a broad topic. There's going to be so many players that's going to have a breakout year this year that I feel like it warrants us to stay on this a little bit with some notable um, nominees, honorable mentions, right? But before we get there, about Tua where I left over Tua. I, the reason why I put him number one is because I just feel like it, it, it's crazy how perception can change within a year, right? Obviously, we all know we're in a pandemic. Our views of society has changed like that, right? But uh, when it came to Tua, this was a guy that I made a video on prior to him being drafted saying he was the best quarterback out of this draft. And then he had a couple, you know, mishaps last year as a rookie. And I'm just like... Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they need to go somewhere else. He's not it. Really, Lil? Really? You just called this guy the best out the draft. So I really had to think about all that. And I said, you know what? Maybe let me give him a year to break out, especially with everything that they did. So I think that's that's why I had a number one, you know? And I thought Zach was kind of on that same wave. So before we get to our mention, Zach, 
I'm kind of curious to know why he didn't make your top five if he was anywhere close to your top five in that sort. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think for me, he was a guy that I definitely considered. Notice I didn't have any quarterbacks making my top five, as crazy as that sounds. And I think a, a big reason for that could just be like, it is obviously when it comes to a breakout, like just such a hard position to evaluate. One question that I heard um, somewhere over the weekend, and I think it, it could be a good question we could go over in a later episode is when you see Josh Allen getting paid, right? You see that all of a sudden, like he just took that crazy leap that not a lot of people expected. Like he literally went from bad to a leap in a span of a season. Like who are the guys that could do that this year? And I'm not even kidding. Like the two guys that came to mind for me to answer that question was Tua and Sam Darnold. I think the position that both of those guys are in could really help them succeed. And look, man, like when it comes to Tua, like I just saw this dude drop dimes at Alabama. He did, he made throws that when I watched him, like not a lot of other people uh, could make, not a lot of their quarterbacks could make. And I just think that last year, yeah, it was a bad year, but considering everything going against him, um, I, I'm not totally out on him just yet. I am a big fan of the Dolphins this year. I don't necessarily know. Like, I could see him being a quarterback that when you look at his stats, like, by the end of the season, they're not going to wow you. But I don't think he needs to do that much. He Kind of similar to Baker Mayfield. I just think he needs to make the smart throws, the smart plays, don't turn the ball over, and put his team in a good position to win. I'm high on Miami. I'm high on Tua. But I don't, like, see him, like, becoming Justin Herbert and breaking out and throwing all these touchdowns. But I think he's going to have a good season. I think steady progress for him. And I actually have a little shift on my list. Not a major shift. One and two, I'm going to switch. And I'm actually going to put CeeDee Lamb at number one. I agree with Zach wholeheartedly here. With CeeDee Lamb being the top breakout player for this upcoming season, I'm going to move Tua to number two just that quickly. Because it dawned on me, you know, everything Zach said about Tua, listen, I still think he's going to break out. I still think he's going to make a lot of plays down the football field this year compared to last. He's going to be there. But as soon as I said that, as soon as Zach was talking, all I was seeing in my mind was those C.D. Lamb highlights last year, you know? And I just think that he's just he's just poised for a great year this year. I have to put him at number one. So just to, you know, go over that, C.D. Lamb number one, two or number two. But, yeah, I want to move on to some honorable mentions. Zay, I'll pass it over to you. What are some guys that you considered – in your list, ranking them in your top five. Um, I thought about putting Austin Eckler in my um top five breakout seasons. I feel like a guy like that, he is um he he was able he's able to catch he's able to um receive the touchdown. He had a lot of receiving touchdowns in twenty nineteen. He had eight, I believe. And um he, he could catch the ball. He's a he's a running back that could that could rush and a quarter a running back that could uh, catch. I feel like if he didn't get injured um last season, and he only played ten games last season, I feel like if he didn't get hurt, he probably got closer to the 800, 900 um, rushing yards mark. And I feel like this season he could be primed for a big season with um, the Chargers. He's going to be the starting running back from what I see and what I understand from the depth chart. Uh, I think this is a guy who could have a really good year on that Chargers team. Like I said, they're very high-octane. High they're pass-heavy. And Austin Eckler is a, a running back who could rush the ball and a guy who could catch the ball really well for um for his position. So I think um, he's a guy who's primed for a breakout season. I think he's a guy who um, could possibly be, possibly be one of the better running backs um, in this year. I mean, I'm, hey, at the end of the season, he might actually rank amongst one of the top 10 running backs in, in the league. I like that pick. I actually, I'm targeting him in fantasy, y'all. I got my eye on his brother because <laughs> I do believe he could be like a Christian McCaffrey this year. So I definitely, I actually ranked him in my list. But I said, you know what? Maybe that's a little bit too obvious. I didn't really want to go with the obvious route. With my list, me and Zach, we tend to like kind of like 
you know, expand our, you know, thinking. So I didn't want to go with him in our top five, but definitely he's worthy of being there. But um, this is a guy that I thought about putting, but I just couldn't do it. And the reason why is not because of his skill sets. It's because of what's around him. And that's Jerry Judy. Listen, I think Jerry Judy, you know, his route running, we all know he's a good route runner. We all know what he brings to the table. I think last year he left some plays on the football field with his drops. But all that could be polished. He's having a great camp and everything. He's poised for a breakout year. My big concern is who's throwing him that football. When you look at Teddy Bridgewater and you look at Drew Locke, I think a quarterback is the main ingredient to a wide receiver success. You have to have a quarterback that, you know, can get you those plays. Teddy Bridgewater, I think he has a shot with Teddy because Teddy is a dump-off guy. And that means Jerry Judy can get the ball, make some plays, yards after the catch. But I'm still not even 100% with Teddy. And we all know Drew Locke, he turns the ball over. So I wanted to put him in my top five, but I couldn't because of who's throwing him the football, potentially. There were two guys for me that just missed my list actually coming from the same team, which is super ironic. But this team, unfortunately, just lost their starting quarterback. And I was really high on both Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman as two guys uh, to possibly make my top five breakout list. But kind of in a similar way to, to Jerry Judy, like I just don't know how good the Colts are going to be on the offensive side of the ball, especially to start the season when you lose two guys like Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz here two guys that were supposed to be uh, solid, you know, the base of your offense. Those are just two tough, tough guys uh, to recover losing. And uh, once again, there's just so much young, like, skill position talent in the league. There's so many different guys uh, you could think of. I want to throw the mic over to my guy, Dean. Like, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Just give me some names, bro. Like, if you were making a list in terms of guys, like, who do you think could break out on the offensive side of the ball? Like, who would come to mind for you? Well, the biggest thing for me, and I'm going to give you one name, I don't want to say breakout because he's already an established player, but it's a big year for him, and it's a contract year for him. The man who's throwing the ball is number 12 of the Buccaneers. The guy who I'm predicting to have a big breakout season is Chris Godwin. You know, the Bucs, they couldn't get an extension with him in the offseason. They couldn't agree, so he got the tag again, I believe. And this is a big year for him. And if Chris Godwin has a big year and the numbers are there, the eye test is there, Chris Godwin comes, shows up, potentially wins another Super Bowl, I think the Bucks got to pay him, and I think that he really is going to have a good year. I think Godwin's going to break out, and he's going to have a great year. He qualifies. He qualifies to be in this list because he was hurt a couple times last year. I don't think he got to a thousand yards because of the injuries. So he does qualify to be in this list, and that's a good, that's a safe route to go because I do think in a contract year, I like that point. I like that. He's he's going to blow up this year. I agree, hundred percent. I feel like not a lot of people realize how good he is, you know, playing yeah. next to guys with Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. But this guy, since he's came into the league, he's been really consistent, especially as a guy who hasn't necessarily been the first option in Tampa Bay behind Mike Evans. Yes, sir. And one more guy I throw out to you and I'm done is Mike Williams, wide receiver from the um, Chargers. I think he's poised for a breakout. Yeah, this is a guy that can never really stay on the field because of health issues. But I do believe if he does, he's going to have a breakout year simply because of who's the offensive coordinator and where he used to coach um, at New Orleans. We used to be offensive coordinator over there with Mike Thomas, and he's going to be playing the Mike Thomas role, the ex-receiver, Mike, um, Michael Williams, that is. So I think he's going to be able to have a lot of catches. I know a lot of people look at him as his deep target, but I think he's going to have a lot of, you know, first down type of catches. I really do. 
And I think that's going to add to his stat total this year. Watch out for Mike Williams. I actually have one more name as well. And I think me and um, Lil spoke about this during our interview with, with um, the, excuse me, I'm sorry, with the Washington reporter, um, Adam Tauman, uh, Trauman, excuse me, from the tight end from the, the New Orleans Saints. He was a guy in college who, his last season, I think, believe he caught like 18 touchdowns. It was like a, a high amount of touchdowns. I forgot the exact number. But I think he has, he's primed for a situation where he could actually have a breakout season on that Saints team who was depleted of receivers and a guy who was a big target, a guy who um, could possibly um, reap the benefits of a guy like Alvin Kamara looking like the number one guy on that team, the number one go-to guy on that team. So if, if um, Kamara's in a situation where he's being like kind of essentially, quote-unquote, shut down or they're, they're kind of blitzing him every other play. Trauman might be able to snag a couple receptions or get a couple touchdowns just based off the defense not prepping for him during those game plans. I like that pick. I, I love that pick right there. That's a good pick because Jared Cook is not there no more. Mike Thomas is not there no more. That's a great pick. So many different guys to choose from, which is part of what makes these lists so good. Once again, offensive players, uh, you can rewind if you haven't seen them. They'll be up uh, sooner rather than later. But Defense on Wednesday. Obviously looking forward to that. And uh, any last thoughts on this one, boys? I just can't wait for football. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Absolutely. You are listening to In the Huddle on Can You Dig Sports Radio. The request line, one eight three three radio bx We end today's show with our closing segment. A couple thoughts we wanted to give each of us on the NFL Hall of Fame. One of my uh, favorite weekends of the year, and it felt even better this year. Obviously, with COVID last year, we didn't have uh, a, Hall Dame, a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So when we see guys like Peyton Manning and Alan Fanica and Calvin Johnson, guys that we grew up watching, uh, Edwin James as well, like it was a great time, great to see some of those guys go into the Hall of Fame. But a couple of things I wanted to say, like, when I think of Hall of Fame, right, and players that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, my expectations are really high, right? Like, we have guys that, uh, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, like, they'll get rejected the first couple times, and good players, too. Like, no disrespect. Guys like John Lynch and, and Jimmy Johnson, like, good players, but they it took them some time to get in. When I think of Hall of Famers, you know, I think of, like, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, uh... You know, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, like the GOATs. And I do put Peyton Manning in that category. Like what this guy did for a league that was already super popular, elevating it and making a brand out of himself. The rivalry he had with Tom Brady, it's almost Larry Bird, Magic Johnson-esque. How that rivalry just changed the league and how it elevated the standards when it comes to quarterback play. And I understand like Peyton Manning has his flaws, but... In my opinion, he is a clear top three, top four quarterback of all time based on just the amount of great seasons he had. And the crazy thing about Peyton Manning is like none of his physical traits would wow you. Like if he was coming out of school today, I feel like he would have his flaws. Like he wouldn't be a top five pick. He has a decent arm, but in a kind of a similar way to Tom Brady, like he just knows how to outthink you. And his size, like the fact that he was 6'5", just being able to to see over those big time defensive lines. I think he did so much for the game of football. And even though he wasn't the best playoff performer, he does have two rings. And the fact that he got that second ring in Denver when it was kind of clear to everyone, he obviously was at the back end of his career. He retired right after that game. But I'm just happy that Peyton Manning is getting his recognition, getting his credit, two Super Bowl rings, and one of my favorite players of all time. So just once again, congrats to Peyton and everyone else on getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was a great weekend. 
Hey, man, I think, like, going back to, you know, Zach said, uh, Peyton Manning has some of the greatest moments that I used to watch when I was growing up watching football, you know, and it, it's tough because, like you said, his playoff record is uh, it's not as great as we would like to, like to see it, but he played against some of the greatest defenses this league has ever seen, you know, when you got when you go against the Steelers and Troy Palomalo and them, then you go see uh, the Ravens with Ray Lewis and uh, Terrell Suggs and them, and then you're going against the Patriots and how gritty they play defense. It's tough for any quarterback in any, in any time in history to play against those guys and try to just – get to a Super Bowl at that point because that's all in just your conference. So, like, getting to the Super Bowl at that point was damn near impossible. So, you had to be a, a literally per- perfect from all, all facets of the game in order to get to that Super Bowl when you're in that AFC conference back at that time. And it was always amazing watching um, Peyton Manning play, man. He had some of the greatest moments and played against some of the greatest teams that we've seen in history when, I, when he was on the Colts and then he went to the Broncos as well. And then, like, Calvin Johnson, man, every game I've seen him <laughs> when I used to watch him play, this guy was a monster. You could put the entire defense on him. He's still going up there and catching the ball. This guy was an absolute beast. He was a freak of nature, literally. And um, I love watching him play, man. I'm, I'm saddened every time I talk about Kevin Johnson because of the injuries that derailed his career and all those concussions and stuff like that. And I just wish that if he would have um, even went to a different team, you know, even retired and then went to a different team because I know he didn't want to be part of that Lions organization anymore. He was done with it. If he would have went to a different team, man, I would have loved to see him play with Aaron Rodgers someday. And that would have been such an amazing, uh, amazing time. Uh, I just, you know, the Hall of Fame is always like a remember, uh, a remembrance of all these guys that used to play. And then you kind of just get flashbacks in your mind. Like, wow, man, this guy was really, really like unbelievable. And I'm just glad that we finally get to see him in the Hall of Fame and we get to remember him forever. Yeah, you know, I'm seeing Peyton Manning get in there and brings you back all the memories of the Peyton Manning. Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Colts, growing up watching them, and uh, Calvin Johnson as well. It's just, it makes me feel old. I'm like, man, like all these guys, when I was a kid growing up, I had a Peyton Manning jersey when I was like nine years old. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. It's like, man, what a weekend. What So great to see it. But now here's the thing. It's like, you know, the NFL Hall of Fame, like Zach said, like some people get denied, like Drew Pearson got denied getting to the Hall of Fame for a while. It sort of makes you think like, man, like, it's tough to get in the NFL Hall of Fame. And then you look at like the NBA Hall of Fame where pretty much anyone gets in it. It's sort of like, you know, I feel like the Hall of Fame carries such a significant weight that, you know, sometimes people have to get denied before they get in because it's just that prestigious of a, a club to be in, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's crazy because these are guys that we watch. So sometimes we get into the Hall of Fame and we watch the Hall of Fame and we see a lot of guys that, we didn't watch. We wasn't old enough to really know about. We just watched the highlights on YouTube, and we can't live that experience. It's one thing to watch videos on YouTube. It's another to actually live the experience and actually seeing these guys with your own two eyes. And that's what I saw with a lot of these guys like Troy Polamalu, Edwin James, Peyton Manning. I mean, the list goes on. Calvin Johnson, of course. Charles Woodson, I saw him when he was on his way out, you know? So it's like... These are guys that we saw. We got to live that experience, you know. And it's crazy. Starting with Peyton Manning, my dad was the biggest Peyton Manning fan, and I was the biggest Tom Brady fan. So you could just imagine our household all the times when Tom Brady and Peyton Manning went toe to toe. And Bill Belichick even said it. He was like, um, Peyton Manning was the hardest coach, um, the hardest quarterback I had to coach against. Bill Belichick went 12 and 8 against Peyton Manning. Obviously a winning record, but Peyton Manning, I believe, he went 3 and 1 against Bill Belichick in the playoffs. Two of them in the AFC, actually three and one in the AFC championship game, rather. Excuse me. 
against Bill Belichick. And I remember those games, you know. And, you know, this is, you know, there's this conception that Brady is the best quarterback. Obviously, he is. But when it comes to the Mannings, both of the Mannings, that's who give Brady the most work. And obviously, when you think about it, Peyton Manning being his division caused him to win, um, to cause him not to win a, at least three or four Super Bowls. And obviously, Eli winning two of those Super Bowls in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, Peyton Manning is one of the greatest of all time. Top five. Listen, I was happy when he retired because I know Tom Brady was going to win more rings because that was the biggest threat to Tom Brady. And sure enough, I think Brady won at least two more after Peyton Manning retired. So, you know, I'm, I was happy he retired, but still I respect him as a competitor and I know what he did for football. As far as Calvin Johnson, listen, if you were to go to a Build-A-Bear to build yourself a wide receiver, he's the guy that you will build. He, you will build a guy like Calvin Johnson. His size, the way how he's shaped, the way how he goes up for them balls, you know, you put two defenders on him, nightmare he's going to be able to make those you know spectacular plays i can sit there and watch his highlights all day long literally that's the type of guy that you know everybody should inspire to be like him as a wide receiver it's unfortunate that he retired early and he wasn't able to see that potential maximized in his situation in detroit and obviously getting to the playoffs he wasn't able to do so so yeah that's unfortunate but man listen he did his thing and i'm glad he went to the hall of fame and one more point. I think who stole the night with their speech is Edger and James. I'm a guy that I like. I like speaking well. You know what? You know me on my social media. I speak well. You know what? And he spoke some well. You know what? In his speech, talking about how you know he was discriminated against almost. You know, people looked at him and his dreads and say, "Well, you know, you ain't gonna last long. You should be in prison." You know, and I think it's a microcosm of what you know society is and how corporate America is, bro. People going to have their judgments of you. I'm pretty sure people have their judgments of me. But once they sit in a room with me for five minutes, all that, what they thought about me is out the window. I know that for sure because I was raised in a great home. But not everybody going to know that because the way, you know, you know how it is, man. You judge by your cover. And that's how people look at you. So I thought his speech had a lot of substance to it, a lot of will. You know what? And that's why I think he stole the night. But those are my thoughts on Hall of Fame weekend. Obviously a great weekend, uh, you know, so many stories we could bring up watching all of these players. And I like what Dean said, man, it, it makes us feel old. Like it's not gonna be too long when we're watching Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and like some of the guys that are still playing right now in Canton, but just such a prestigious honor, such a prestigious event. And once again, having the double trouble back-to-back -back nights of inductions after uh, COVID uh, ruined it last year, it, it was great to see. And uh, just love celebrating football, man. Like it is hard to believe the amount of elite players that have been in this NFL really since uh, the history of existence. So great night on the Hall of Fame. Boys, another episode in the books. Wanted to thank you so much, Dean, for joining us. Always welcome on the show. And uh, yeah, that is episode 128 of In the Huddle. Boys, we out. We'll talk soon. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Later, man.